Coming up, we got the MLB wildcard round. It's amazing after a 162 game season how quickly things can end. We had four series, all of them went the minimum two games. We're going to do an NFL week five preview. And I'm going to give a quick overview of the Canelo-Charlo fight that happened this past weekend. So it's the sports life. We're talking sports. Let's go. All right, Kate and I are going to start off talking about the MLB wildcard playoffs that just took place. These are obviously short series, best of three. We had four series going on. We had the Phillies against the Marlins, Brewers, Diamondbacks, Rangers, Rays, and Twins, Blue Jays. Again, all these series went the minimum. They were all sweeps, and these short wild card series are really wild because you lose the first game and you are on the ropes. Um, in this case, starting off talking about the Phillies going against the Marlins, the Phillies just took this two games to none, no problem. They had Wheeler going, they had Nola going. They both dominated their starts. Looking at their performances. Um, they don't walk guys either, so they're not giving those free bases up. Really a solid performance, obviously, from their starting pitching. Uh, in the first game, kind of had a cool moment where Harper ran through a stop sign at third, got a key run, got a key insurance run there. Harper just seems like he notches it up in the postseason. When you see him at the plate, when you see him on the bases, it just seems like he's he just looks dangerous. He looks like he's ready to take one out of the ballpark when he's, at, like I say, at the plate. It looks like he wants to run like a wild man when he's on the bases. And Philadelphia moving on to face the Braves uh, in the next round, they're dangerous. And, and you just think, man, the Braves are so good, but they can still be running into a buzzsaw there with Philly. The, the fans are wild there. The stadium really gets rocking. And they have a hitting lineup. I mean, you got Schwarber, Turner, Bohm, Harper, Castellano. I mean, they got they got hitters too. Not quite as uh, not quite as deep as the Braves this year, but again, if they can get the type of starting pitching that they got in that series against the Marlins, yeah, the Braves they could are kind really of tough. their starting pitching's kind of. I mean, Strider. I mean, I don't know if Strider freed uh, Charlie Morton, but a lot of. I mean, they've they've been dealing with some injuries. I agree. Yeah, Morton and Freed have been dealing with injuries. They're going to need those guys. They're going to definitely need those guys, especially with the lineup that Philly's putting out there. So that series, boom, just like that, the Marlins, the team that got in ahead of the Cubs, along with the Diamondbacks, just like that, the Marlins, after a great season, they are gone. It can happen in the blink of an eye. Moving on to the next series, you had the Brewers versus the Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks took this quick, 2-0. Again, the Brewers being the NL Central champs, it never hurts us to see them go down. So I was kind of glad to see this young Diamondbacks team uh, get rid of the Brewers quickly. Diamondbacks had an absolute dominant bullpen in this series. The first game was unreal, the work that they put in. You're starting to see some young guys from that team really show out to be stars. I mean, Carroll looks like he's going to be the real deal, obviously. Uh, Gallon had a good start in the second game. I mean, they just ran right through him. Walker had a big hit in that first game. He had a big home run. Um, I mean, it was a big double. So they, not much to say there. I mean, the Diamondbacks walked through the Brewers. Do you have any thoughts on that series? Uh, that, that series definitely felt good, especially when, uh, you know, you know, you kind of that was kind of the team that uh, you're competing with. But it just felt like they just won and they just came into Milwaukee with a chip on their shoulder and they just walked out feeling great, you know. 
The it Diamondbacks was... got that type of squad, and if they can get that type of performance out of their bullpen, they got some decent starting pitching, they got an ace, they are a dangerous type of playoff team, without question. I mean, they have, they have, I mean, they're, they're an all-around team. They they play the small baseball. They can hit for power. They got a little bit of everything throughout that lineup. They got some speed with Corbin Carroll. They got some power with Christian Walker, um, and it's like Cattell Mar- Cattell Marte, and you know even like Corbin Carroll. He, he, this is why I love him so much because he can hit. Yeah, he can hit, but he can also steal. He's like the best player in the league, and he can hit for power. And I mean, he can just do everything. And then, yeah, this is a very young team, but you also got a guy like Evan Longoria. You got some veterans, and you saw he made a couple really, really heads up and really big plays. And, you know, you kind of, especially the really young team, you need type of guys like that to really teach these uh, young guys to the playoffs. Definitely. And, you know, it's hard not to be a prisoner of the moment when you're watching these games and thinking right away these teams can compete with the Braves and Dodgers, respectively. I don't know if they're going to be able to, you know, climb those mountains. But at the same time, watching these series and watching their fan, or watching the fans, especially in Philly, and what you have um, with the home field advantage there, when they're at home, that, that really helps the Phillies, obviously. And then the Diamondbacks just, you know, they just look like the type of team that could be tough if they get hot here and stay hot in the playoffs. So, I'm curious to see those next two series. I personally like the favorites. I think the Dodgers and the Braves are going to get through. But at the same time, it would not surprise me one bit, particularly on the Philly side. I think the Diamondbacks would surprise me a little bit more if they got past the Dodgers. But I really think that the the Philly series, again, these are short series, right? These are five gamers. These are five gamers. And, I mean, you get down down 1-0, immediate pressure on that second game. Uh, so you don't end up with your back against the wall. So those will be really interesting to see. Moving on to the American League, you had the Rangers and the Rays. Again, the, the Rays, they remind me, they're like the new Oakland A's, right? The Billy Bean A's. And if you ever watch Moneyball you, or read Moneyball, you basically heard him say, I can, I can build a team using these analytics that can get you into the postseason. I don't know how to build a team using these analytics that are going to win for you in the postseason. The postseason is a whole other animal. The Rays have seen this. They get there. They they had the long run in 2020, but other than that, they seem like they're there every year, and they just can't make deep runs in the playoffs. Uh, the Second Ranger, year to really get swept. Yeah, and, and it happens quick if you're in the wild card round. I mean, you got two chances at it, and they ran into the Rangers. The Rangers, great pitching from both Montgomery and Ivaldi. Um, Seager's rolling on that team offensively, and after the last pod where we talked about the, you know, the AL MVP, I had to dig it a little bit further into Seager. He had really had a phenomenal year. I mean, obviously nobody's taken over that that MVP spot from Shohei, but Seager's regular season stats: three twenty seven average, thirty three homers, and ninety six RBIs. So he had a phenomenal season. So the Rangers got something special going there. They got a a manager in Bochi with a lot of postseason experience. Quick work, Rays gone. Anything else on that one, Caden? Uh, well, you're talking about the fans. Uh, it was just oh, a disaster. Yeah. It, it it looked like it was the Oakland A Stadium. I mean, it was. You know, I'm not really sure. You're talking about like I always say this. You know, especially last um last season when they made it to the World Series. I mean, they were they were um. 
I mean, I was expecting them to at least, I mean, go on into St. Louis, lose the day, uh, sweeping the card as the wild card, then um, really winning, I mean, going to the World Series. I think, yeah, the, the talent of that team really came together, but the fans, I mean, were a different, just a different level. I, I really feel like it was 75% skill and 25% fans. I mean, the fans. Who are you talking about? About the Phillies. Phillies? I was talking about the I'm, t- I'm telling Rays. you. I'm telling you. About oh, you're the- talking about the difference between the Phillies yes. and the Rays. Okay. The f- okay. 25% <laughs> of Phillies fans won that series, especially against the Braves. But for the, I know the Rays. I mean, the, the Rays. It just seemed like it was a disaster. I mean, yeah, they played bad. They played sloppy, but they had no support. And you, when you need that, especially facing a good team like the Rangers, you need support from your fan base, and they, they didn't see that. I think it's just sad. You know, it's sad that the fact that that team can get there every year they make it through that al east either in the one spot or typically end up in the two spot there and end up in the wild card and they can't get fans at their stadium for playoff games it's sad i mean it just makes me you know feel blessed to have the type of um, fan base that we have here in chicago with the cubs because the rays deserve better the rays deserve to have that stadium packed when they uh, truff through a really tough season and, and make it to the playoffs and then you see, you know, after these guys have really good runs early in their careers with the Rays, they just move on and, and the Rays rebuild and just keep rebuilding and keep putting good teams out there. But they need to do something different there. They can't, I heard they're having, like, a new stadium. I, I heard I heard about that, too. I, I heard they were thinking about splitting some time between two different stadiums. I don't know what's going to happen there. I haven't read up on it recently. But, <clears throat> again, unfortunately for the Rays, they are gone early and the Rangers are moving on. What's the Ranger matchup? Is that uh, Rangers Orioles? Rangers Orioles. Okay. Now for the final one, we'll talk about in the AL. We had the Twins and the Jays. First of all, congratulations to the Minnesota Twins. They snapped an 18-game yeah, postseason right. skid. That's right. I didn't make a mistake there. An 18-game postseason skid. I mean, think about that. That is being swept in. Probably, I'm assuming that's five or six consecutive series, depending on where they, um, you know, where they were starting off in those years. But man, that is a tough run to go through. And they they came in this year. They were playing a tough team in the Jays, and they just took the first. They took those two games, no problem. They uh, great pitching out of the Twins. They gave up one run in two games, and it seems like they do just enough offensively. Um, Royce Lewis had a big game one for them with two home runs. So, But they just do enough. And I don't think that's going to be enough to get them through the next series, given that they're going against the Astros. Yeah. So Twins-Astros, if we're getting that right, um, that's just going to be too much for them to handle. I, I think they'll win a game. I'm not saying they won't win a game. I'm saying I don't think they're going to be able to get past the Astros. I'm well, pulling. I think I they, they had sorry for all, no, but, good. but they have they had a lot of breaks. I mean, especially in game two. I mean, well, first game one, Kevin Gosman, he was just not on. I mean, his splitter wasn't moving. Again, they got a couple big players, Royce Lewis. Um, but they just kept getting big plays. It wasn't really an all around good performance. It was just big plays. You saw um, they picked off Vladdy when the Blue Jays were driving. Um, it was a bases-loaded one-out. Matt Chapman smokes the ball down the left field line and just curls foul. Um, just, I mean, it was less than a foot. I mean, it barely touched foul. And just stuff like those, I mean, they got the 
you know, bigger plays. They got the bigger doll play balls, bigger hits, and the Blue Jays couldn't scratch anything across. They got the base runners. They just didn't get the clutch hits when the Twins did. Based on what you've seen thus far, like I said, I know when you see these wild card rounds, you tend to get a little biased towards these wild card teams, especially if they just run through two games. You got a World Series pick? You got a matchup and a and a winner? Um, I haven't really thought about this 100% yet because I can't. Well, people are saying the Orioles. I don't. I personally don't feel, I think the Rangers are going to. I think the Rangers, they're not going to make it to the World Series, but they're going to beat the Orioles, I'm telling you. Uh, but my, for the AL, I'm probably going... I'm going. You're not going rematch, are you? No. <laughs> it seems like these same franchises keep getting back into the mix every year. I think the Rangers are going to make it to World Series. You're going Rangers? Yeah, and who I just think, Who do you think they're going to play? I think they're going to play the... <laughs> I think they're going to... Uh, the Phillies. I think they're going to play the Phillies. Or the Diamondbacks. I, or the Diamondbacks. I don't think. I, I just think the like Braves. Your... I just think the Braves. I mean, they haven't played competitive. That's what I'm talking about. The Dodgers. I really feel like the Dodgers. It seems like every year they just. I mean, because they don't play competitive baseball like Meltzer so baseball. So who you got? Who's your matchup and who's your winner? Rangers. Rangers. Um. Rangers. Phillies. And who's winning? I'm going with the Phillies. Okay, I I'm, I was trying to think of my picks as I was asking you. I am going to go Astros Braves, and I'm going to pick the Braves to win it this year. I've been just a huge fan of that team this year. Not a fan, like a fanatic fan, but just a fan of like watching them as they were competing like with the Cubs and just seeing the depth of that lineup and how much pressure they can put on you offensively. I know you need pitching in the postseason. They may not have enough. But ultimately, I'm going to go Bravos there, and I'm going to say that the Astros sneak through again. Somehow, some way, they, uh, they just seem to get it done. So that's our MLB coverage for this pod. We will keep you guys posted. These other series are firing up on the weekend, I think, right? Yeah, They're starting up on the weekend. So we are moving on. All right, we are going to do a quick preview of NFL Week 5. Uh, there's actually a game going on right now, Caden, if you can get an update for us and see if the Bears were able to finish that off. The Bears are playing on Thursday night this week against the Commanders. They are one of the only two winless teams uh, going into this week. They were 0-4 along with the Carolina Panthers. The Bears went up big last week against the Broncos and then completely fell apart in the second half. Uh, Fields had a great first half, and now they did the same thing this week. They started off... Uh, they started off hot. They were up twenty-seven to three in the first half, and the Rangers were um, the Rangers were. I'm sorry, the Commanders were coming back on them, and we basically came downstairs to start the pod when it was thirty to twenty, and the Commanders had just missed a uh, had just missed a field goal to cut it to one score. Caden's going to check the final score of that game to see if that came up. But uh, Washington, uh, the Commanders. They were favored by six in that game. So in terms of that, it looks like the Bears at the very least will cover even if they end up coughing up another another huge lead. And what the big talk is in Chicago right now with how awful the Bears are is that they have potentially 
the ability to get the number one and the number two pick in this upcoming draft. So if they qualify by being the worst team again, which they're certainly in line to do, and then they have Carolina's pick, which they are also right now the basement dwellers in the league, you could be looking at a potential Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr. combination. So Chicago is excited about that, and that's about it because the Bears are awful. You just... It's very frustrating to watch, especially it's almost frustrating when you see Fields do good because if you are a Bears fan, you almost don't want to see him excel when you just don't think he's going to be able to maintain or continue to grow. It it looks like maybe the ship has sailed and he's not going to be a franchise type of quarterback in the league. And then if he shows these flashes, the franchise is going to continue to kind of hold on to him a little bit. So I, I find that just to be challenging from a Bears fan perspective is to try to f- kind of go through that labyrinth and figure out, is this guy going to be a franchise guy or not? Is he teasing us or is he actually, you know, is he actually a guy that we can roll with for the next five to 10 years? What do you got? What's the update? 37 to 20 Bears won. Okay. So the Bears got the win. They're one in four. Um, they, I, again, I don't know if Chicago fans are happy about that or not. From my perspective, I'm kind of a casual Bears fan. I, I, I watch them because I'm in Chicago, if I can bear to watch them. But in general, um, they are <laughs> they are in many years very difficult to watch. So I think a lot of Bears fans after the own four start are thinking, you know what? Let's just let's tank this thing. Let's get Caleb and Marvin, and let's move forward. On the same note with the Bears, wanted to give a quick mention um, to rest in paradise to uh, Dick Butkus. Dick Butkus passed away today at 80 years old. And Dick Butkus was, you know, he was a guy that kind of built that Chicago linebacker role. Like after him, then you had your Singletary, you had your Urlacher, you had your Briggs, but it was it was Butkus that really developed it. And my dad used to have us watch this this show. It was like a it was one of those VHS tapes where you'd put it in and then you'd have like the 50 NFL toughest players. And if I'm not mistaken, Butkus was rated the, the number one toughest player uh, in the NFL. And we would just watch this footage of him just ripping guys' helmets off. And, you know, one time it looked like he was smashing mud into his face like he had it cut or something like that. So he was just one of those gritty, tough football players. And there was this scene uh, on there where each guy would kind of talk about the other guys, like all the tough guys from the NFL that they were – you know, rating, you had Deacon Jones, you had Dick Knight Train Lane, you had all these guys, Ronnie Lott, some of the, the toughest guys have done some of the toughest things on a football field. And they asked uh, Deacon Jones what he thought about Dick Buckus, and he said, you know, he didn't want to... He didn't want to put you in the hospital. He wanted to put you in the in a casket or something like that. He said that's the way Buck has played the game. He also made another funny comment where he said, uh, he says, when you played against Buckus, it was like he put all the offensive players on the other team in a bag and then took a bat and beat on the bag. That's what they used to say. Uh, that's what Deacon was saying about, about Buckus. So he was just kind of a legendary figure not only for Chicago, but for the whole NFL. So rest in peace. I just wanted to give a quick word on that. Moving on to a little bit more NFL action. Some of the big games this week that uh, sparked my interest. One was the Jags-Bills. I think that this is a game that could be interesting, right? The Bills are coming off this time now where they're looking like they might be one of the best teams in the league. 
and they obviously taking out the Dolphins last week. After that letdown of losing to the Jets in week one, the Bills have looked like the best team in football. I feel like this game is a setup for them. The Jags are the type of team that can make a game really messy. The Bills are favored by five and a half in this game. I think that's going to be a fun one to watch. I think the Jags are going to make that game interesting for some reason. Caden, you got any thoughts on on that game? No, sometimes I think uh, these are uh, two quarterbacks that are very good, but I think they can both be pretty sloppy. But I think uh, I think the Jaguars are going to win. I think they're going to upset the Bills. But I think it really depends how these two quarterbacks do and who will step up. It's funny because the Jags being in the AFC South, I think they were kind of the easy pick this year to win that division. And now when you see what the Texans are doing, the AFC South is actually becoming an interesting division to watch. I mean, the Texans are actually starting to look like they could win that division. The Jags, we don't know really what. We don't know who they are yet. So that's going to be interesting as the uh, as the season goes along. Obviously, it's still early. Being a 17-game season, we're not even a full quarter through it. Um, another interesting game, you got the Eagles-Rams. Eagles are favored by four and a half points in that game. The Eagles are very interesting because they're like a 4-0 team that looks like they haven't put it together yet. So I just find the Eagles just to be so dangerous because they're just they're the type of team that can win in different ways. They can win ugly. They can blow you out sometimes. They can use the run game. They got the pass game. Sometimes the defense is hot. Sometimes the defense is not. They really haven't put it together, and they're 4-0. So I think that says something about Philly. I still think they're one of the most dangerous teams in the league. So that's going to be a fun game to watch. You also have the Cowboys Niners. Caden, you got any thoughts on that one? The Niners are favored by four. The Cowboys, after a letdown game, now they came back last week, obviously cleaned up on New England. The 49ers have looked virtually unstoppable this year. 49ers favored by four points. Any, any thoughts on that one? Uh, I think it really depends on the 49ers. I mean, the Cowboys' defense, too. I, I really feel like, you know, I think this. Uh, I think the Cowboys' defense really gives Dak Prescott's comp, this uh, offense of the Cowboys really confidence you know if they don't do good you know I feel like it really deflates this team I really feel like this defense is the heart and soul of this uh Cowboys team and you know I just don't I just I really feel like the 49ers have a way where they can really go to the running game and passing game that I really feel like they're gonna have a good mix of that and chew up this uh Cowboys defense and I don't I feel like Dak Prescott under pressure he's gonna um He's going to panic, and I just don't feel like in big-time situations he's going to step up, and this uh, big-time 49ers team is going to. It feels like the Niners, if they're able to take care of business with the Cowboys, they're going to really feel like the real deal. If, If they don't, it's almost like with the Niners, you're waiting for something to go wrong. You're waiting for a McCaffrey injury which typically comes up five to seven games into the season and has happened quite a bit. Maybe something with Debo, something with the quarterback. You're almost waiting for something to go wrong with the Niners, unfortunately, um, because they just look they look like the team to beat this year. That'll be a fun game to watch. I like the Niners there. I agree with you. I think Prescott, when, when, uh, when it comes down to it, I just don't think he has it. I think he's average. I don't think he's bad. I think he's average, and I think that you need a little bit more than average on that team because as great as that defense is, the loss of Diggs, it it really has affected them. And like you said, I feel like even though they have a great defense, 
they also feed off the offense. When when all-time great defenses, they don't need to feed off the offense. They dominate the games themselves. They come in and be like, we're going to dominate. We're going to score points. We're going to get a pick six. We're going to get a tackle. We're going to get the tackle for loss. We're going to get the, you know, the the scoop and score. We're going to do those types of things. And that's what I think this defense misses. I don't know. I feel like they do need some confidence from that from the offensive side. And if they don't get it, they may not show up. They may not hold. If they're going to have to hold the Niners to I'd say 24 you know, 24 or less to even think about winning that game. I see that as like a 27-21 type of game, and that's why I'll, I'll take the Niners. If the Cowboys don't take the if the Cowboys don't have the lead at halftime, I don't think they'll win. I think they'll fall apart. And those are the big ones. Those are the big ones moving in to to week five. So we will again continue to do some NFL stuff, do some fantasy stuff coming up. Bring Uncle Clint back in. But uh, it's always fun going into an NFL weekend and, and all these different interesting matchups and then how things change throughout the whole season. Teams that you think have it early in the year sometimes fall apart late in the year. And it's just going to be a really uh, another intriguing NFL season. So moving on. All right, Caden, you can stick around if you want. If you don't want, that's fine. Even though I am trying to get you into this boxing game a little bit in terms of, oh, don't leave. Don't leave. Now I'm going to make you listen because I want you to understand this sport. Boxing, again, I might lose some people on the pod at the end here because I'm talking boxing, but it's, it's one of my passions. And again, I'm typically only going to bring it up when there's prize fights. I don't think the Canelo-Charlo fight really qualifies as a prize fight, but it did bring up some interesting thoughts because Canelo gets a lot of people out to his fights. He's a big money draw in the sport. And this was a big moment for Charlo to get this fight. Yeah, and it's really, you know, Charlo is really... No, get out of here. You don't know anything. No, it's, no, no, no. You don't know no. who Charlo is. Charlo was having a rough time getting around the ring because uh, the other guy was really, you know, he was really doing a good job moving and really using his body. You're actually right about one part. Canelo was cutting the ring off and essentially stalking him the whole time. And um, that that's... When you are in a prize fight and you finally get that shot, right? So a guy like Charlo, you don't know how many shots like that you're going to get. And he came in there just to survive. He was he was moving, he wasn't his punches didn't have much conviction on him. He wasn't going to take any risks. And that's just hard to see because you want to a true champ, a true top pound for pound fighter is going to get in there and go out on his sword. And Charlo never had that intention. He didn't bring any intensity to that fight. Canelo pretty much dominated bell to bell. And Charlo just showed, I don't think there's the heart of a champion there. And then he didn't show any speed. He really never let his hands go in the whole fight. But what bothered me the most, and in boxing, a very important part of boxing is sticking around and watching those post-fight comments, that, that ring interview that each fighter gets. First they go to the winner, then they go to the loser. And he has the guts to call out Terrence Bud Crawford after a loss. So just so you understand, Caden, when you're in a boxing match and you lose, you don't call somebody else out after that fight because you lost the fight you're in. And you don't call out the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world in Terrence Bud Crawford. So I thought that was just so out of line. Charlo did not have the right to do that. He didn't show up. Sad for him because you don't get many moments to step into the ring with a, with a legend uh, Mexican fighter like Canelo Alvarez. Now, Canelo, on the other hand, he was pretty cocky after the fight. He says, no one beats this Canelo. 
Um, that's way off base. Again, Canelo did look motivated in this fight. Canelo... I thought he was going to lose. He does not He does, he does not look like a boxer. Well, Caden never... Caden didn't even know who Canelo Alvarez was, so I don't think that that's good. But, but thank you for your analysis on that. But basically, Canelo has floated around the last you know five years of his career between 160 and 175. Canelo cannot play ball with the big boys at 175. He fought this fight against Charlo at 168. Keep in mind, Charlo's coming up from 154. So Charlo's moving up two weight classes to make that fight happen. So it's kind of a, it's an out of line comment for him to come out and say something like that, to say nobody beats this version of Canelo. Because I'll tell you right now, better Beav or Bevel, Bevel who already basically swept Canelo 12 rounds to nothing in a fight, He's not going to beat Dimitri Bivol, and he would not beat Better Bev either. And those are the top dogs at 175. He's not ready to go there. I'm curious to see where his next fight is. I think it's. I think the route that he should go is probably Ben Davides. I don't know what route he's going to go. Canelo's always going to be a big draw. Crawford did say he wanted to jump up three weight classes and fight Canelo. I don't think Canelo will do that, mainly because... Canelo is the draw, and he has nothing to gain by fighting a guy moving up from from welterweight up to super middle. He just doesn't have, or yeah, super middle at 168. He doesn't have anything to gain there, so I don't think you'll you'll see that happen. But I will continue to cover prize fights on here. I will also give some analysis on fighters that I think there's a little um, there's there's a myth about one being Floyd Mayweather. I'm gonna give I'm, I'm gonna give that in a future pod where I talk about the myth of Floyd Mayweather and how even though he's a top fighter to put him in the talks with the best ever, the greatest of all time, he's, he's not on that list and he's not even close. And I'll share the reasons why I feel that way. He always pops up when Canelo fights because he fought Canelo when Canelo was a baby at 22 or 23. Uh, Floyd's always floating around. Some of the people that I talk to in the boxing world, they always run into Floyd. He wants to argue that he's the greatest fighter of all time. He just goes on and on. TBE, the best ever, all this nonsense. Floyd had a great career, one of the better defensive fighters you'll ever see. But there is such a long list of guys ahead of Floyd Mayweather that um, I would fill up a couple sheets of paper probably. I'd probably end up having them somewhere in the top 25, but I don't think I'd get them. I don't think I could get them any higher than that. Anyway, that's our pod for the night. We thank you so much for listening. We will be back soon. Remember to like us and follow us on Spotify and Apple or wherever you get your pods. Thank you so much for listening and have a great night.